to him who loved us and washed us clean in his own blood and has made us as kings and priests to God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Today the text for our sermon meditation is from John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33, an incident that took place several days before the account of Jesus' trial and the way of sorrows we just read. John 12, beginning in verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So far of God's holy word. In the name of Christ Jesus, the seed who chose not to remain alone, dear fellow redeemed, behold, the incredible the expendable seed. My wife picked these up for me from Woodman's yesterday. It's a packet of seeds in order to plant rows of juicy, tender sweet corn. Pretty cheap for what you get. I figured it out. Here's one of them. One little corn seed, about three cents when you buy the hybrid variety ready to go packet such as this. What do you get for your three pennies? An astounding miracle from God. The closer you look at this, the more impressed you are with God's creation and what he can pack into this small of a package. This tiny little corn seed has a nice hard shell on the outside to protect its contents and to protect it from unwanted moisture before it's planted. Inside that hard protective shell, well, there's a miniature lunchbox, enough food in there for the new, newly sprouted 
plant to eat before it can make its own food from the sunlight. So when you take what looks like almost nothing, and if left by itself, will simply sit in the package and eventually decay. But if you take it and you poke it in the ground a couple, three inches down and cover it up, and if it's given the proper warmth and moisture and sunlight, God's going to bring about a precious miracle. When that embryonic plant shoots out a little leaf and reaches for the sunlight, begins to photosynthesize to make its own food, and grows into the full-blown cornstalk with a beautiful, luscious ear of corn on it for me to boil up and slather in butter and salt and enjoy for my dinner. Unless, unless you'd rather take that ear of corn and treat those kernels carefully and produce who knows how many other stalks of corn. You know how much information is packed into this little package? I tried to figure it out. It took me some doing. Here's an estimate for a visual for you. Take a wooden pallet and start to stack it squarely with volumes of encyclopedias. Keep stacking, keep stacking, keep stacking until it's about 10 feet in the air. That's approximately a pretty good idea of how much gen genetic and other information the Lord packs into a tiny little speck inside of this seed. Yet, it's expendable. If you want the corn stalk and the tender ear of corn, this is going to have to be done away with. This will be no more. The whole thing is an astounding picture of the creative and sustaining power of all, our all-powerful God, because this is the way that he feeds the entire world and, incidentally, replenishes the oxygen in the air we breathe. It's a testimony to God's creative power. It also happens to be a very telling picture that Jesus uses to talk to us about discipleship. Discipleship. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it has to do with two big important ideas. One is being the fruit of Jesus' labors. The other is bearing bearing the fruit of Jesus' labors. And so our theme today is discipleship and the expendable seed. Now the time of the incident that takes place here in John chapter 12 is soon after Palm Sunday, early on in Holy Week, just a few days before Jesus went on the way of sorrows to the place of his execution on Calvary. The place was Jerusalem, during the time when Jesus was openly and freely teaching among the columns of the magnificent temple. And the event that happened was a signal, a signal to Jesus that the hour of his suffering and death and resurrection had come. How was it a signal? Well, the town, uh, the city of Jerusalem was packed with all kinds of people for Passover, mostly Jewish people, also including some non-Jewish people who believed in that same one true God and had come for the Feast of Passover, including some people from the land of Greece. Greeks, who knew of one true God, who had heard about Jesus, and they were knocking on the door in order to see him. Now up until this time, Jesus had made it plain that his main missionary purpose was not among 
all the nations, not yet. He told people, I have been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And perhaps you recall when he sent out his 70 disciples on a missionary training journey that he told them, don't go into the way of Gentiles, but bring your message to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It was concentrated there among the Jews, but that was preparatory because after his suffering and death, Jesus gave his marching orders to his disciples, saying, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. It was God's purpose to spread this worldwide to all peoples following his death and resurrection. And yet here are some trailblazers. Here are some non-Jewish people who are trying to jump the gun a little bit on Jesus' plan. Sir, we want to see Jesus. They said this to Philip. Philip told Andrew. The two of them went to Jesus with that request. And you might expect Jesus to say, not now. Or you might expect Jesus to say, bring them in. He didn't. He talked about the signal. He said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Glorified? Jesus knew what was coming. The arrest, the unjust prosecution and conviction, the crown of thorns, the Roman whip, the nails, the spear, the grave. He knew about the mocking and humiliation. He knew just how unglorified those things were going to be. What kind of glory is he talking about? He's talking about the glory of the incredible, expendable seed. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And Jesus was determined not to remain alone. Jesus, a true human being, had earthly concerns, desires, wants, and needs like any other human being, but without sin. And Jesus' attitude was, I'll set that aside. I'll give that up. I'll give everything of my own up, entirely, in order to produce a great harvest and not remain just a single seed. I can do without this body, this life. I'll give it up painfully, shamefully, and completely. He was facing the hardest task that anyone has ever faced. But he was willing to do it, well, first of all, because it would bring glory to the name of his Father. Verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Honoring and glorifying his father was a high priority for Jesus. And a voice answered from heaven. Other people heard it. It seems no one else understood it or chose not to. But God spoke from heaven. I have glorified it and I shall glorify it again. And of course we see in the life of Satan. All the miracles he did in the great gospel he proclaimed. Not to glorify himself but his father in heaven. Of course we understand God would glorify his name again through Jesus being lifted up on the cross, cast to the depths of the grave, raised again in glory to the Father's right hand. That would bring glory to the Father's name as well. But that was not all. 
was not only to bring glory to the name of his father, that Jesus was willing to perish, to be the seed that would be done away with, but also in view of the harvest, the harvest that would come. And this is where you come in to the picture. Just like those Greeks. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Don't you? I know I do. In fact, I know I desperately need to see him. And so does everyone here. You see, this body, this seed, it's a husk. And it's headed for a grave. It's going to go away. This body, this mind, this heart, and yours too, is riddled with sins and shame. That would mean not just a grave of nothingness, but an eternity of rejection by God and misery and condemnation forever. But Jesus was the seed that fell to the earth and died. He was the one who, well, I'll let him tell you. Verse 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. By perishing, by dying, Jesus would pull the greatest re reversal in the history of the world. In weakness and suffering and death, he would defeat the power of the devil in his resurrection he would be able to reach out fully and completely to those Greeks, to us non-Jewish people, to a whole world lost in sin, that we might see him, know him, believe in him through the Holy Spirit's work. This is how one seed produced many more. This is how the divine seed Jesus produced a plentiful harvest, including you, for you will follow in the same path where he went. From the cross, to the grave, to the skies. That's discipleship and the expendable seed. When we're looking at the seed as Jesus, picture that he provided for us. And the harvest he was looking forward to, us as souls who belong to him now. But it's more than being the fruit of Jesus' labors. Discipleship is also bearing, bearing the fruit of Jesus' labors as well. The idea of the little package that doesn't remain alone but is willing to perish in order to produce honor for the glory of God the Father and the harvest of souls that Jesus intended. Well, the Apostle Paul got it. He had the concept. He put it very well in our pre-service devotion verse for today. It's on the second page of your service folder. Where Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, He died for all. That's the divine seed. He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That seed is you. That's you willing to set everything aside as needed in the service of the one who set himself aside for you.
That's true discipleship. It means that your own body, your own interests, your life, your goals, everything about you is expendable, available to be given freely for the Lord's purposes. You see, discipleship, it's this way. <clears throat> Throughout the centuries, there have been multitudes, uncounted multitudes of people who admire Jesus, but just not that many by comparison who actually follow him. And there's a difference. You see, you just can't have a casual acquaintance with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You can't follow Jesus in the same sense that you follow your favorite sports team. You can't follow Jesus in the same sense that you follow a particular television program or author. That's not discipleship at all. Following Jesus in the truest sense, well, he describes it this way in our text from verse 20. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow. Let him follow me. He says you have to hate your life. In a certain sense, yes. Let me expand on that a little bit for you. What's he saying? By hating your life to gain your life. Well, I'll put it this way. If the focus of who you are and what you're about, if your highest aspirations are the things of this world and gaining material goods, well, you can't also have your focus on the things of God at the same time. It's one thing or the other. If your life's focus and your heart's desire is to gain and maintain the respect and praise of the people around you, your family, your peers, well, then you can't expect to have the praise of God because one's going to have to come first. If your life's focus and heart's desire are your own goals and dreams and attaining them, then those of God will come to nothing. Really following genuine discipleship, well, that's what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 16. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Taking up your cross and truly walking in the footsteps of the Savior. That means each one of us needs to be able to say, everything I say and do is to model my Savior in order to show him to others. And if that means giving up my own priorities so that others can be part of Jesus' harvest, that's a wonderful thing. This is expendable. I don't need this. I've got eternal life in Christ. Everything you say and do to model Jesus for those who either want to see him, like those Greeks did, or who need to see him but don't know it yet. And if that means giving up even this very life so that others can be part of his harvest too, that's a worthy goal. What a high standard, Jesus says, for what it means to be a true follower, a true disciple. And everybody who's honest with themselves is going to have to hang their head and say, it's just not me. I, I want to prioritize the things of God's kingdom, but I fail to do that the way Jesus wants it done day by day. And it's true. 
And that's why it's such a glory to God the Father and such a witness to his love that as Jesus is lifted up on the cross, we can go there even with these failures. Failures to be true disciples as we ought. And his love and forgiveness is freely given. And the power is also given to follow more closely. I think you could probably tell what my favorite part of the story from John chapter 12 is. Sir, we want to see Jesus. And we want to, too. We want to see him personally, face to face, to have that interview with him. Don't you? You know we sh will, we will see him personally and soon. Because listen once more to his promise from verse 6. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. That's a promise coming from one who always keeps every promise. We shall see him. And so will many more. So will many more when we consider this and this and this to be expendable in the service of my Savior. When we speak of him to others and place his goals and desires for us, the people we meet, first place in our hearts, the way he put us first place, in his heart. When your earthly life is given over entirely, entirely in the service of your Savior, the one who gave his life for you. In his name, amen. <clears throat> and may the peace of God, which passes all our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.